1: Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and Womentowatch.net. Uh, I'm so grateful to have you joining us today. It's the most beautiful day I think we've had here in a long time um, here in Philadelphia. And um, I want to point out before I introduce our guest, um, we do have a call-in number. If you'd like to call in and join our conversation, you can do so at triple eight three two nine thirty three zero six, And you can always tune in on womentowatch.net as well. Uh, I'm really excited today for my guest. Um, she is quite a force here in Philadelphia, and her name is Sister Mary Scullion. Uh, Sister Mary is the executive director and co founder of Project Home here in Philadelphia. Sister Mary, welcome to the show. Sister, are you there?
2: Yes, I am. Oh,
1: good. Oh, good, good. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How about you?
1: Uh, Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And I know how busy you are, especially right now with everything that's going on in Philadelphia. So I'm very grateful that you uh, can give us some time here on Women to Watch.
2: I'm really excited to be here. So,
1: so sister, I want to start out with um, a question for you, uh, really about your upbringing, because one of the things I was talking to the two women that are in the studio with me, and one, by the way, is Anne Marie Collins, um, executive director of the Druding Center. We're going to be chatting um, after you leave us today, and I I said to Anne Marie that you know we all witness homelessness um, on our streets and in our neighborhoods, and many of us are affected very, very deeply by what we see, but very few people take action like you have. And I wanted to know what it was about your upbringing that, um, you know, instilled in you the compassion that you had to really devote your life to it.
2: Um, So so I think it was the example of my parents uh, who were both immigrants. So they knew the struggle of being an immigrant in a new country and what it meant to have to rely on friends and family um, to be able to make it, you know, day by day. And uh, I also think it's part of my faith and also part of my friends and family that I've gotten to know and and leaders like Anne-Marie and and others in the Philadelphia community that continue to inspire me um, by the work that... People are doing right on the front lines, especially the men and women that we see that are homeless, and their courage, resilience—it's um, just very inspiring.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I understand that you really were exposed to it um, the very beginning. I guess of your years at St. Joe's University um, and what you saw there, and um, I think it does take a lot of courage to to see something a problem that broad and decide to take action. Um, one of the statements that you've said, one of my favorite things that I've read, um, you said, contrary to our society, who value those who deem productive and prosperous, often marginalize those who struggle with poverty. Um, I believe every man, woman, and child possess gifts, worth, and potential, and that everyone matters. One of the things I wanted to ask you, sister, is, you know, I too believe in that, and um I struggle with kind of reconciling how we um, make have those beliefs that that every soul and every human matters, and yet see the evil that we do see in the world today. And how do you, how do we? I'm saying how do you? How do we reconcile with that? Well, uh, Sue, I
2: think that um, one of the things that we've been working on in preparation for Pope Francis's visit um, in the next couple weeks is uh, the grotto um, to Mary Undoer of Knots. And what we've seen, we've asked people to send in their struggle, their knots, their prayers, and we've gotten uh, responses from people from all walks of life. And the one thing that we all have in common is our struggle and is our knots and our prayers. And somehow um, sharing those struggles with each other, even anonymously, it has brought us closer to one another. So I think the way of breaking down the walls that separate us um, is getting to know each other a little bit better and sharing with each other on a more common and basic level. And that has a way of... um, uniting us much more strongly.
1: Sister, I couldn't agree with that more, and it's it's kind of what we do on the show here every week is to really try to um, have the women that come on our show talk about not only the work they do, but who they are, you know, behind their title. And, and I agree, and it kind of leads me into my next question because you've seen, I'm guessing, thousands of homeless uh, people and i'm wondering if you believe that these people who who often kind of you know they give up on life um that perhaps they really are the most sensitive of all of us
2: yeah, it can be um i guess for men and women that experience homelessness and maybe some of the men and women that you might see living on the streets we see them at some of their lowest points and you know uh it, that's um i don't really believe that and and it's been my experience that these men and women aren't i really haven't given up but that they are at a very low point in their in their lives and what's so remarkable uh for me is that i get because i work with people every day i get to see people who maybe one day we see them i see them at their lowest point but then the next day they're here uh looking for that opportunity to work or to uh find housing or to take care of their health care as a as another step forward in their journey home and uh i'm constantly reminded that uh, all of us by virtue of our humanity have that vulnerability but not all of us uh share that in the most public way by you know because we're living on the street and i think that's what i'm so uh conscious of that having a home is so such an important human right for all of us because we're all entitled to that privacy and uh and a safe spot to call home where we can truly be ourselves and um and explore like our vulnerability and our struggles and you know get ready to face the world the next day.
1: Right. Right. It's it's that um that dignity of having um you know uh, a respite a place to go home to.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Work,
2: home health, you know, uh is all part of or healthcare is all part of, you know, the basic human dignity.
1: Mhm. And, Sister, how do you – you see some tough things on a day-to-day basis, and I wonder how you remain positive um, seeing those types of difficult things. Outside of prayer, which I'm sure is, you know, um, probably your go-to tool for for coping, Um, how else – what other ways do you – or what other things do you turn to, I guess, to to remain positive?
2: Each day I'm really inspired by so many people, by men, women, and children that, um, you know, it's easy to fall down, but it's, you know, it takes that courage or risk to stand up and start again the next day. And that although they're very difficult uh, situations, um, some enormous challenges and obstacles, it's just so inspiring and re-energizing to see people make choices each day to get back up and to tackle the problems and the challenges and the difficulties that they're faced with, and um, to not lose hope in themselves and to not lose hope in God. You know, it's that grace uh, to recover. It's the AA prayer, you know, Lord, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change, the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I see that prayer actualized every single day, and it's such um, an example of strength and hope and and faith that renews me and our community daily.
1: Right. Um, you know, I couldn't have you here today and not talk about, um, you know, the, the exciting time it is for Philadelphia with the Pope coming. And um, I know that you're a member of the Homeless Committee um, for the World Meeting of Families. And one of the things I wanted to talk about and get your take on is, you know, unfortunately, there seems to be a, a lot of anxiety surrounding his visit. Um, rather than focusing on the celebration and the importance of this event, um, it, it's it's been a little distracting. And I'm wondering how you are re- remaining focused on the, the relevance and the importance of this visit um, with the outside uh, kind of uh, concerns and worries that we have to face.
2: Well, it it really is a a historic moment in the city of Philadelphia, and I believe that when Pope Francis comes and goes to the prison and uh, says Mass on the parkway and is part of the, you know, really incredible celebration on Saturday night at the Francis Festival, that those anxieties and fears will kind of melt away, Mm -hmm. and uh, that, you know, I've just seen such a a demand for the people that want to come and want to participate. Um, And I just think it's normal, you know, the anxieties and the challenges in putting together such a, um, you know, an incredible uh, two days. But I think the excitement continues to mount, you know, as each day we get a little bit closer and, um, and I think, you know people will you know i mean there's obviously there's the challenges but it's it's really a once in a lifetime opportunity and mm-hmm. you know i for one i can't wait and you know i can't wait to you know participate in all these incredible things and um and i'm also really grateful to see the way uh so many people have come together to uh you know the issues of poverty uh immigration uh criminal justice reform those topics don't really get addressed or talked about that much, but with the arrival of Pope Francis, I think there's a lot more dialogue on these important issues, especially the issue of poverty that impacts so many people, and just a real um, groundswell of compassion um, for the Pope Francis's visit. We started a Francis Fund uh, to help great organizations like Project Rainbow and People's Emergency Center, St. Francis Inn, uh, the Jewish Family Services, uh, a Muslim organization that does a daycare center, uh, you know, uh, Lutheran Justice Pantry. So people from all walks of life and all different, um, you know, faiths that are just touching the wounds and the suffering in our society. And there's just been really an outpouring of generosity and, Um, and kindness uh, that's going to help develop the capacities for those organizations. And in addition to that, uh, we've sent about 8,000 letters to Congress asking Congress to consider the values of mercy and justice and come up with bipartisan legislation to both end and prevent hunger and homelessness in our community. So we're really seeing a lot more interest and participation and involvement in um the issues that really touch all of us whether we want to admit it or not you know um so that's another promising sign of of pope francis's visit
1: yeah i i agree and i think you're right that the closer we get the the more um excitement there is you know when it was first announced i think everyone had had their worries and how are we going to Pull this off and uh, it's an enormous event and now you're right everyone is talking about it in such a a positive light um, I wanted to mention that the Druding Center you know Anne-Marie is going to be with us in the second half is a recipient of the uh, Francis Fund as well so um, they're grateful and I'm grateful uh, because Holy Redeemer is our is our core sponsor here at Women to Watch great what, what would you say, a uh, sister, is is the one thing you'd like to see come about from this event, both you know the World Meeting of Families and the Pope's visit? Is there is there one thing in particular that you're praying for that you see um, is a, res- a direct result of the visit? Um, one thing
2: that I'm praying for is that we come together more as one, as a city and as a nation, and realize that. Um, our destinies are truly bound up with one another and how we can more strategically align our, our time, talent, and effort, um, our time, talent, and treasure to, uh, create the kind of city, create the kind of world that we want our kids and grandkids to grow up in and to make, really make our country be the one where there really is equal opportunity for all, um, and that we as a country come to know each other in a much deeper way of what it means to be we the people, not them and us, we the people as one.
1: Right. You know, Sister, I would love to know your take on, um, you know, technology today and the Internet. While there are definitely some drawbacks, um, I think for these types of missions, and wishes and dreams, you know, to bring people together, it's such an advantage that we have just in the ability to reach out and connect with people from so far away. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I agree. I think technology provides, you know, so many opportunities, um, as long as we remember that um, it doesn't provide the opportunity for everybody. I mean, there still are, you know, many marginalized communities that aren't able to access the technology that is available. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it has the opportunity and the potential, um, you know, again, to, to decrease those divides that exist in our communities.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just a tremendous um, advantage. I think that we, we didn't have, you know, 20 years ago. Um, well, some, absolutely. yeah, some days it seems a little overwhelming, um, because we, we know so much about what's going on in the world every day, all day long. Um, but on the flip side of that, we know what's going on every day, all day long. And, you know, we can take, you know, make a choice to, um, make a difference where we can and, and where we feel we, you know, our gifts match.
2: Yep. I agree with you 100%.
1: Sister, what's your number one priority in the work that you do? In other words, from from a strategic standpoint, um, what is, you know, pressing for you on a day-to-day?
2: I would say that the most important thing to ending homelessness today is affordable housing, but the single most important thing to ending homelessness for the future is a quality education for every single child. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to tackle the issues both in short-term solutions but also in long-term solutions and every day i think is an opportunity for all of us to make um to make a difference in in some of those areas Uh, so you know the 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 children in our community and i really think about the great work that project rainbow and um marie collins and her colleagues do a project rainbow and making a difference in the lives of so many kids that experience homelessness and their mothers um and father and you know there are also single parent families that are um headed by men as well that um it's really really difficult when you're by yourself with children to make it today and we're really seeing a strain on the shelter system and Uh, and what these mothers and kids are up against. So, again, I'm just so grateful and inspired by the work of Project Rainbow and People's Emergency Center um, and others that uh, are really addressing the problems of families that find themselves homeless, especially as the school year begins.
1: Yes, yes. And I think one of the things that's so wonderful is that it seems to me that the programs we're seeing – Go way beyond an emergency situation. In other words, um, you know, th- there is a difference between a shelter, um, and transitional housing. And I, I, I wonder, I'm hoping that statistically there are more programs that are helping women and children and, and men too, way beyond that kind of emergency point where they need to be off the street, but then if we, you know, you can't stop there. Um, there has to be so much continued work and support and education and resources. And I, I see that type of work every day, um, especially by a lot of great women in the Philadelphia area. Uh, you know Career Award is really, one of them.
2: Yep. There, there's another great organization. The, mm-hmm. the problem though, Sue, is that we're facing is that um, as, as, Good, And that's what Pope Francis calls us to, the concrete works of, of charity and mercy, which, you know, we see operational, you know, in so many organizations and people in our community. But at the same time, we have to deal with some of the systems that create poverty because um, the the shelter system, especially for mothers and kids, are overwhelmed today. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, yes. right this minute there's mothers and kids seeking shelter and there's no place for them to go Mm. today. So that although there are great examples of amazing programs and they need to be supported and we need more of them, it's just that in our community with 26% of our population of Philadelphia living at or below the poverty rate, it's not enough. Like we really need that government intervention of affordable housing. We need the government intervention of a really quality educational system for every single child and, you know, access to health care and jobs at living wages. So um, these issues have to be tackled both, you know, in today, in concrete works of charity and compassion, but also in systemic change.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a big number, sister, 26%. Mm-hmm.
2: And in Camden, it's even worse. It's like forty some percent. Wow, in that city alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, uh, but yet, the talent, the um, you know, the the resources in our communities are abundant, and I believe that we can leverage them and grow them. It's just not a you know a zero sum game. I really believe that working together and um, trying to uh, tackle these problems more as a community and not just individual programs, that we can make exponential progress and
1: impact. Sister, what do you think it is about you that gets people to do things? <laughs> you know, I, I think, again, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show the difference between people who kind of see a problem and those that take action. And you're quite special, And I wonder if you're aware of of what that gift is in you that that really gets people to to sit up and pay attention and help.
2: Well, you know, thank you, Sue. But I really, I think it is, you know, that I've been just doing this for like 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, every day is an opportunity to take a little step forward. And, you know, it wasn't too many years ago that, you know, we were operating out of the locker room of a swimming pool mm. at the Marion Anderson Recreation Center. Right. And when the Conley Foundation came along and said, We want to help, you know, do something more significant here. And so we saw that shelter wasn't enough. We could actually do something for housing. And then the Honigman family, and you know, today especially we're mindful of Rosh Hashanah and the beginning mm-hmm. of the new year for the Jewish community, there's so many great Jewish leaders that came forward and said you know we see um education and uh and employment as so critical, and they stepped up and they began to do something about that so sometimes um i it's really the power of way you know mm. that was a, a phrase coined by john Bon Jovi i mean then he got involved and wanted to do something for homeless youth and Um, the Neubauer family and the Rainier Foundation and this one and that one. I mean, again, as as Anne-Marie and I get to witness every single day the incredible generosity and compassion of so many people. And it is the power of we that, as I said before, when we do something on our own steam, it's really wonderful and it's very important. But when we join our forces with others, we can just – accomplish so much more together than we can accomplish apart. And, you know, uh, someone said to us early on, if you have one stick, it can easily be broken. But when you put 12 sticks together and you try to break it, it's impossible. Right. Yeah. And so it's that that sense of community and the power of relationships and knowing who to call and how to... uh, you know how to put a few people together to get something um done, but to be quite honest it's it's usually other people other than myself that are you know accomplishing these things um, you know it's just again, it's the power of we.
1: yeah yeah well and and just kind of knowing that somebody has your back every day and the work that you're doing um right. is always a comfort.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and again, and especially the men and women and kids that uh, experience homelessness, and seeing how they, uh, when, when given a good opportunity, make good choices to seize that opportunity, and then they become leaders and doers and uh, creators, and that's the best gift of all, and the greatest hope that we have.
1: Right, and you know what I that. Is- that's really what it's all about, isn't it? I, I wondered if you could tell me, I, I know there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories, you know, success stories, but I wonder if you could share a personal story of, of someone that has been through um, project home and is now doing something productive.
2: Oh, there's countless, countless too many? stories <laughs> on that, but no, but not never too many. No, there no. cannot be too many. No. <laughs> um, um, I mean, one, uh, just because we were just talking about um, mothers and kids that find themselves homeless, Mm -hmm. there was a a woman whose name is Tanya, who had three children and, um, you know, they were homeless and were homeless for several years. And uh, she came to Project Home and she was able, once she had a a safe place to call home Um, and Really, we have a recovery environment, a clean and sober, you know, recovery culture. And she was excited about participating in that kind of culture. Um, and her three kids, they all struggled in school because, again, they had gone from school to school to school, you know, and that's a little rough. But anyway, the oldest one uh went, uh applied, and got into Albright College, actually. And she struggled there, but she actually completed and graduated from Albright and now is uh, working, actually, in employment services for, you know, for others. Her brother is going to graduate next year or this coming, you know, at the end of, uh, you know, May from Bloomsburg in accounting. And her youngest sister uh, is now going to Albright on a full ride. Wow. Full ride. Wow. Full you know, now those they're paying off loans and they're you know, have to you know, do all that, but the mm-hmm. sister, uh, the youngest, uh, is now, you know, uh going into her first year of college. And I think about the mom works two full time jobs, again has a lot of college loans to pay, you mm-hmm. know, all those things that we all are aware of. But um there's a family where, you know, we're really struggling, the mom Obviously, I mean, not obviously, but the mom does not have a college degree, Mm -hmm. Uh, but yet through a lot of sacrifice, but a lot of support of programs like Project Rainbow and after school programs and college scholarships and internships and this and that, that over the years now that's turning, you know, a family that with three kids that were homeless into three college graduates you know, three great jobs that will be paying taxes, That three leaders, potential leaders in our society. And that's what we have to do, change, you know, change the game.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, that really is the epitome of resiliency. And, you know, to go from homelessness to being, to becoming a leader. These are the people that should be going out and, you know, doing the motivational speaking to others, right. I think.
2: Exactly, and the thing is, but that story wasn't a straight line, and there were a lot of ups and downs, right. a lot of disappointments, as well as joys and successes, but it just says, like, over many, many, many years, Yeah, that's what it took, many years, many trials, you know, uh, to get to that point, but it, it does happen, and... um you know, that's that's one example, one of many many examples yeah. that we have of people now working and voting and organizing and uh, caring for others and giving back and doing all kinds of you know incredible things because yeah. the people that are homeless that are on our streets could be our future doctors, could be our future nurses, could be our future teachers. You know, we're um, that life has a gift for our society and. You know, we want to nurture each other so that our fullest potential, not only for ourselves, but for our communities.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we want to see people like that triumph. It's such a wonderful feeling to see that. Yep. Sister, we have to take a quick break. And I, I wonder, can you come back and join us or do you have to go?
2: I have to go. I'm you sorry, do. To you, but I'm so happy to have been here and, oh. um, you know, wish you and all your listeners you know, the very best are in our thoughts and prayers, and we continue to depend upon yours as well.
1: Thank you so much, sister. We'll be sharing all your information and, and um, seeing how we can get some more help for you in the work that you do. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Have Bye-bye. a great day.
2: You too. Bye-bye.
1: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Anne-Marie Collins, the Executive Director of the Druding Center. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, we just spent a half an hour with Sister Mary Scullion, a wonderful activist here in Philadelphia, um, co-founder and executive director of Project Home. And we have a nice transition for the second half of the show because we're being joined by Anne-Marie Collins, who is the executive director of the Druding Center, uh, a transitional housing program in Philadelphia for women and children. And the Druding Center is um, an entity of Holy Redeemer Health System, which happens to be our sponsor of Women to Watch. I always want to say thank you to them um, for allowing us to bring you the show every week. So Anne-Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're going to have a lot to talk about in light of Sister's um, 30 Minutes, and and I wish we had more time with her. But the work that you're doing and the the work that the Druding Center does is in direct alignment with her work. And um, before we talk about that and find out how it got started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved there? Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, went to Cardinal
0: Doherty, went away to the University of Scranton. And um, did a year of volunteer work with the, uh, with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which kind of got me interested in social justice and helping others. So that's how I ended up in my career and started with Druding Center 23 years ago. The, it'll be the end of October will be 23 years that I've been there.
1: And would you say, as a young girl, your aspirations were to do this kind of work, or did you take a different no, path? No, I don't think
0: so. You know, when I first went to college, I thought, I'm either going to go to law school or be a doctor. Okay. I didn't know. And then yeah. um, decided I wanted to volunteer for a year. And when my mother was like, "Why?" Well, I was the first one in my family to go to college. So my parents were like, what do you mean you're going to volunteer for a year?
1: They <laughs> said, well, where did
0: you get this idea? And I said, because I've watched you do it.
1: Oh, is that right? So, you know, mom so and dad they were an example. always volunteered
0: at church, you know, at church and the parish and doing those things, or in the community. So it was natural for me to want to do something like that.
1: Yeah. What did you study in college?
0: I was my undergrad was in history, okay. and then I went back and got a graduate degree in community counseling.
1: Okay, but you obviously found you know, your place, and you've been there 23 years, so mm-hmm. I, I know that you you feel fulfilled in, in the work that you do. Um, tell us a little bit about the Druding Center, how it got started. I know that mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I would like more people in the Philadelphia area to know about it and that it was one of the first transitional housing mm-hmm. programs. So tell us a little bit more. So to kind of
0: explain where Druding Center came from, we have to explain the connection with the Sisters of the Holy Redeemer and the actual building where we are located. Mm-hmm. Um, The Druding family had a leather tanning factory at 5th and Master Street, and they build an infirmary for their employees and their families and ask the Sisters of the Holy Redeemer to staff it. So um, that was back in 1930. Fast forward, the factory moved down south. They converted the infirmary to a nursing home. And In the early 80s, there was a ra- uh, rise in the increase of homelessness in the city, particularly women and children, and Sister Catherine Etchells, the Sister of the Holy Redeemer, saw a need that wasn't being met, and the Druding family donated the building, and Druding Center was opened in 1987. So we were the first transitional housing program for homeless women and children in the city of Philadelphia.
1: Wow, okay. And, and where do the families come from?
0: They are all referred from the city of Philadelphia's Office of Supportive Housing, the emergency housing um, system.
1: Because, you know, when Sister mentioned that number, 26 percent living in poverty in Philadelphia, you know, that number struck me. And so there's such great need. Mm -hmm. And, you you know, the, the task of determining who is going to go into a program like yours must be really difficult. Um, I think it's why we partner so closely with the city that they
0: do a really good job of identifying those that are most in need. They're all in need. And as Sister Mary mentioned, there's not enough affordable housing Mm -hmm. in the city of Philadelphia. And... There is not enough resources to meet the demands right now. But we know that the families that come to us truly don't have any other resources.
1: Yeah. Tell um give us an overview. How many families are, are there at any one time? Sure. We serve thirty families at a time.
0: Our moms are very young, eighteen to twenty four. Wow. Uh with young children, most being under the age of five. Um and one of the things that we've seen and I've seen over the years is the the amount of trauma that Our families have endured is just unbelievable 92 percent of homeless women have endured significant trauma but even as children um, 63 percent of our moms endured significant trauma as children whether it was a loss of a parent in foster care or homeless as children so they're coming to us um, with a lot of needs in addition to being homeless and poverty just the their experiences in their young lives is just unbelievable
1: Yeah, they're fragile. Absolutely.
0: Very vulnerable. Right. And that's, you know, one of the things we want to make sure that we're serving the most vulnerable families.
1: One of the things that I read about the center, and I think this is so so important to point out, um, once the families come and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of work to be done and there's therapy and, you know, just really getting them to feel safe and secure, um, the families set and reach goals. Around housing, education, employment, health, uh, physical and emotional, social, recreational, and life skills. That's so important because you can't stop with the therapy. There has to then be this type of uh, education. Tell me a little bit about how you go about setting these goals with, you know, women and children who have not up until this point done that kind of work.
0: So it really is focused and centered around the family. Um, one of the, th- we've made an effort and we have become a sanctuary certified, which means we provide trauma informed services so that we really kind of focus and help families identify what are maybe some of the obstacles that have gotten in their way. I think the key is, um, we like to say Drooting Center is where hope comes alive for our families and it's to help them for the many for the first time in their lives to even think that they have a future Mm -hmm. um but to also help them recognize the strengths that they had sister mary you know mentioned that the the homeless whether they're singles or moms with children have incredible strength and they have a lot of skills and you just have to help them identify what those are and then think about what what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to achieve in your life? And start with baby steps, you know, small areas that they want to, um, what are some of the gaps that they need to address? So it really is driven by the families and what they identify as their needs. We're just there to support them on their journey to kind of say, okay, what are your goals for the next three months? What do you want to accomplish for you and your children? And what can we do to support you?
1: When, when you meet these women, do you see a common thread in all of them, any one th- trait, any one thing that you could say, um, this seems to be common in in the women that kind of uh, lose their way and end up in this place. Or would you say every story is completely different, and there could be a you know a, a vast set of circumstances? Trauma. Trauma. Mm-hmm. That's abuse. That's, um, whether it was
0: physical abuse or emotional abuse as children, domestic violence as adults. Um, foster care. If you were in foster care, you have a 33% higher chance of being homeless as an adult. Um, so about 33% of our um, of our moms were in foster care as children. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the common thread. But the other thing is the resilience and their survivors. Mm. So it's you know really tapping into that, recognizing. Um, the easiest thing for me when I talk about sanctuary and being trauma informed is instead of saying what's wrong with that person, why aren't they doing what they need to be doing is what's happened to that person. Mm -hmm. Because if you can tap in and identify what's happened to them and help them identify that, then they can start to heal from that and move on. And that, but that process takes time.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I love that to, you know, ask what happened first, because you know, there there's something that occurred, right? We're all born and mm-hmm. and and we come into this life, you know, um, in a certain way, innocent and and in the beginning, and then things happen. Um, how do you? I, I'm curious to know what those first conversations are with these women, and and we'll talk about the children as well, but the, the mothers, more importantly, um, when they first come to the Druding center, what is the very first thing that is done with them? So it really starts when they come for intake, and it's really asking them about their story. Okay.
0: You know what? You know how did they grow up? Where? You know how far did they go in school? Do they have a work history? And we do ask about their trauma history, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of start to give them a voice in that. And they may not be completely forthcoming, right, when they first come, right? Um, but that's okay. Um, And so it's really just a lot about getting to know somebody and and doing, you know, if there's formal assessments where we kind of see what skills do they have and those things, but it's all about building relationship and trust trust because most of them have never trusted anybody. And that's part of what we see is they're so used to the people that are supposed to care about them. As soon as they make a mistake saying, that's it, we're done Mm -hmm. and we're not going to do that you know they're allowed they can make mistakes when they're with us somewhere and, and the other piece is giving them a voice and giving them a choice you know in what they want to do you know so we have life skills classes but one of the things when we started on our sanctuary journey is we nothing is mandatory everything's voluntary um, and surprisingly you know I was a little skeptical at first but our attendance at all of these sessions has increased because if you give moms and give
1: adults a choice, they, they eventually will choose what's best for them and their family. Yeah. And, and once they're in that safe environment, mm-hmm. they feel you know safe to do that. And, and then once they have that intake, then are they matched with a, the, the appropriate therapist or so teacher? So each member, um, each family has
0: a family team. So there's a the family advocate. The mom is the core member of the family team. There's a family advocate. There's a therapist. There's a representative from community services that works on housing. There is a youth advocate. If their children are enrolled in our child care, a representative from child care is on the family team. They develop a family service plan, and then everybody, they meet quarterly to kind of look at it. But individually, they're meeting with members of the team. But for the therapist, again, it's voluntary. They meet with them a couple times after they first move in just to make sure they're transitioning okay. But after that, it's up to mom if she wants to continue that relationship. Relationship.
1: And one of the things that the Druding Center does that, that's different maybe from some other programs is that you stay connected to these families for up to seven years. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. saying that number. I think I read mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, that's a long time, and that's really important. And it's, it's a vo-
0: again, a voluntary program. It's always been voluntary um, because what – I think we realized right away was that, yes, affordable housing is a key answer to ending homelessness, but a lot of our families, they don't have family support. They don't have people that are in their corner kind of saying you can do this or if there is a problem that can offer them support and help them navigate rough roads. So they need continued support and encouragement after they move into housing. Now, some families will work with us for a full seven years. Some families, after a year or two, they're okay. Mm-hmm. But they know that if there is a problem or an issue or they're not sure what to do, that they can call us and we'll help get them connected yeah. to another resource.
1: I, I would think that that's almost. Or it could be more critical than the affordable housing is one part of the puzzle. The support and what happens after mm-hmm. is, you know, is critical um, because they have to continue to, to develop those uh, belief systems, mm-hmm. right, in their abilities and, and navigate different and sometimes complicated systems.
0: That's right. In the, you know, whether it's the education system or if they're a special needs child that needs early intervention, those systems are not – Sister Mary talked about needing to change systems.
1: Yes, they're complicated. And they're
0: very, very complicated. Way too complicated. But even if you think you know what you're doing, it can be very confusing and you can be thrown off track.
1: That's right. We, we need advisors to get through mm-hmm. some of these systems, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, can you share a story about a, any particular woman, child, family that kind of – you know, touched your heart? Um, I think like sister Mary, there are so many. Um,
0: I guess the one, um, so there was a woman that was kind of moved out probably five or six years ago that she is now a member of our board. Um, She, when she came to us, she um, thought she wanted to go to community college. She enrolled in community college. She then enrolled in temple. Um, She's going to be graduating next May. Um, Her children are doing well. Um, So it's just, and there's so many stories like that where, like Sister Mary shared, the children have gone on to college. Or Mm -hmm. mom, you know, just, but to, for any of our families, we always say the definition of success is different for every single family Mm -hmm. because they come to us with different needs.
1: Right. Right. Um,
0: but there 's just you know, and kind of the the not concrete um, when you start to see a mom engage with her child differently right and actually stop and listen and and understand where the child 's coming from yeah that 's a huge success for us
1: that 's right because up until that point she 's been so overwhelmed with her status and position, um, yeah, those relationships mm-hmm. are are probably harmed
0: mhm absolutely, so they 're kind of rebuilding. And learning how to be better parents. Yeah. You know, I find they're, they're like moms everywhere. They really do put their children first. But as I said in the beginning, they're so young. You know they're they're kind of their children themselves trying yes. to parent children,
1: yes, and of course you know we continually talk about mothers and children and mothers and children. There's fathers out there, mm-hmm. and um you know they're as important in these children's lives, some of them are involved, and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. um Do you engage with the fathers as well
0: absolutely um and we actually our goal this year is to really look and see how we can do that even more than we already do mm-hmm. um if the father is involved and there's a need for family counseling they can they can join in a counseling session we do monthly family fun days where it's a recreational activity, because a lot of times we think we're providing a new opportunity for the children, and sometimes it's the first time mom has done something, whether it's to go bowling or go to the Please Touch Museum, and we'll invite fathers and father figures to those activities as well.
1: Yeah. What would you say, you're, you know, as far as, you know, the, for the listeners who perhaps want to be involved and help, um, what are some of the priorities for you and the center where people in the community could assist? There's always tangible things that we need. Um, We're
0: always looking for volunteers. We do a homework club in the evening with the school-age children. We don't have as many school-age children as we used to have, but we always need volunteers in the evening. So when we're doing a life skills workshop or a parenting workshop in the evenings, we do a family meal, and then we provide we babysit the children so moms can have an hour suit so they can focus on the workshop. So we always need babysitters for those types of things, family fun days, you know, so that we can provide as much support to keep everybody safe. Um, we have a wish list on our website of the tangible things that we may need.
1: You mean supplies and supplies, things like that. Supplies,
0: you know, whether it's you know we're good for school supplies, but there's always things that are coming up, um, you know, diapers, formula. Those types of things.
1: Yeah. Um, When you think about the future of the Druding Center, are there some plans or things that you would like to see um, added to to the services and the workshops and the things you're already doing? Um, The one thing we we just kind of looked at our strategic plans
0: that the one piece that we haven't accomplished yet that we're hoping to accomplish, and it goes back to helping families navigate systems, is that seven years is a long time to follow a family. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, mom moved out when the child was two or three, seven years, the child's ten. Um, they may still need support getting connected with the resources in the community to help make sure they stay on track. Um, so ideally, we would love, again, a voluntary program to work with families until the children have graduated from high school. Okay. So that we can help, you know, if if you, call it, like filling out FAFSA forms can be so oh. confusing. Yes. You know, yes. helping Not to duplicate resources that are out there in the community, but just to really help be that person that can help families get connected to the resources that are out there to ensure that we truly end the cycle of poverty and homelessness for two generations. There
1: you go. Really important. Mm -hmm. It's almost like how about setting up a mentor for each family? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? Well, it's
0: really, it's, it's kind of what we're, we're, we're toying with, you know, what would we call it, but a youth advocate that would really help get, know the resources to, you know, the mentors could possibly work also because one or two staff people wouldn't be able to work with every child that's right. out there. That's right. Um, but to really kind of make sure that they get connected to the resources.
1: Um, when we talk about the numbers and statistics, do you, mm-hmm. I don't have this knowledge, but I wonder, is it greater today than it was years ago, or are we seeing an improvement? Because, you know, my hope is we are with so many people like you and, and Sister Mary. I would like to, to know that things are changing for the better. The statistics on homelessness? Yes. I I, I don't think it's completely better. I think
0: because as long as there is a huge gap in affordable housing, you know, as Sister Mary said that that's, it's such a dire need. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the other thing, you know, um, Project Home works, they do work with some families, but they work with mostly home, the single men and women, and they're the people you see on the street. Homeless families you don't see on the street. They're hidden. They're invisible. Um, so, there are so many more families that are struggling and are living doubled up that are even being than are being counted, so it 's really mm-hmm. hard to say what the exact number is. I think it's getting better um but the the systems need to be fixed
1: well, because everyone has a different priority right about what needs to be done, especially when it comes to finances. where are we going to put the money mm-hmm. and as sister mentioned, education right. Education needs funding, and then we need funding for the affordable housing. Um, It's such a tough issue. Um, What what kinds of, you know, when you have these discussions. I guess to me
0: it's a no-brainer. Right, right. I mean, if if you really
1: want to thrive as a society,
0: you need to invest in your future, and our future is our children. So you need to make sure that the education system is on solid ground. Um, And ours isn't. You know, particularly in the city of Philadelphia and the fact that, you know, we're halfway through September and we still don't have an approved state budget that impacts a lot of social service agencies across the Commonwealth who are going to be forced to make really difficult decisions in order to provide many needed services for our our families. But I I have to agree with Sister Mary, it's affordable housing and education, and that's going to be the way for families to get out of poverty.
1: Right. What is your personal opinion on what 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 holds everything back is it, it over analyzing things or um you know disagreements and again and priorities? what do you think is it that just continually you know slows things progress slows it down? I think we have become an us versus them
0: um society, and I think you know when Sister Mary said the power of we, mm-hmm. I think we 've forgotten that um, none of us have truly made it completely on our own somebody in our lives has helped us, Mm -hmm. whether it was our parents or a mentor or our first boss or somebody helped us move along and develop. Um, And I think sometimes we get into this attitude where everybody has to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Um, Well, if they don't have bootstraps to pull up or they, you know, you you need to give people a chance and give them the tools to get there. Um, and you know, hopefully they'll take advantage of those tools and, and they'll they'll make they'll make strides and move towards a better future. Um, but really, I think to stop blaming everybody and kind of really look and see how are we allocating our resources so that it's a better future for everyone.
1: That's right. And and sister said that about you, the fact that whether you want to admit it or not, seeing the poverty and the homelessness affects all of us. Uh, a lot of us are very fortunate, you know, mm-hmm. that we're not out on the streets and poor. But, you know, we're all in this society together and, and one does affect the other. Yeah, I think sometimes it's
0: hard to look at it and see it that way because then it becomes overwhelming.
1: That's right. That is so very true. So it's easier
0: to kind of take the other tack and say, well, I was able to, you know, but
1: because That's it true. can be overwhelming. It is. It is. It's uh, It's scary. And to kind of turn turn your head to it um, is a way to say it's not really there. It mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Uh, but we're lucky to have people like you that are doing the work that you're doing. Um, we just have a couple of minutes left. I certainly want to ask you to give um, contact information if anyone's okay. listening and they want to help on any – number of ways um what's the best way to reach out
0: um they can go to our website which is www.drudingcenter.com which is d-r-u-e-d-i-n-g d- yeah, d- mm-hmm. center dot com.
1: okay and and we should mention druding the name i always want to know where names come from that was a family it was
0: a family name yeah
1: Mm-hmm. And they still are very. The Druding Foundation is very
0: supportive of our work, and um, we still have members of the Druding family on our board. You do?
1: Mm-hmm. How many? What generation is that? Do you know? Fourth or
0: fifth, I
1: believe. Wow.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And how many? How many uh, volunteers do you have right now? You have
0: about a little over three hundred volunteers a year. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So we've got lots of opportunity. We have a you know a licensed child care center, so there's lots of opportunities to volunteer in the child care center and lots of evening activities, as I mentioned. So Okay. You know, we have groups that come in and do larger projects.
1: Right. Terrific. Well, I want to thank you for coming in and, and filling our second half hour. Thanks it for made perfect us. sense. And uh, I also have in the studio Marlo Del Del Sandro, am I pronouncing that right? Del Sordo. Del Sordo, I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to give her a shout-out. She took on a new position with Holy Redeemer Health System as the new head of PR. So we'll be doing some great things together. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. And be sure to check out our website to keep up with all of the uh, things that we have going on at net. Make it a great week, everyone.